Robots. They're all around us, from simple ones in our homes, like Roomba vacuum cleaners, to giant claws that build our cars. OnRobot is one of the leading collaborative robotics application companies around the globe. Collaborative application means that the parts OnRobot creates are attached to mainstream robots to help complete certain tasks and maneuvers. This summer, I was given the opportunity to travel to their headquarters in Budapest, Hungary for an internship. During my internship at OnRobot, I had the opportunity to meet with the Chief Technology Officer of OnRobot, Vilmos Beskid. Rising from the role of Head of Research and Development, Mr. Beskid manages most of the R&D work at OnRobot Hungary. Being a collaborative robotics applications company, their main role is to create parts for small and medium-sized manufacturers to use with their mainstream robots. The main robot brands are ABB, Universal Robots, or URs, Epson, and the list goes on. OnRobot creates grippers, vacuum grippers, and even an automated screwdriver that picks up its own screws. During my time, I was able to gain hands-on experience working with the robots in their lab and learn how they integrate their attachments to mainstream robots. Overall, I gained a better understanding of where robotics will play a role in our lives and how much room there is for expansion. This episode, we decided to do something a little different. You know, we're taking the interviews that Nitin had with Vilmos and other executives and combining it with our own commentary. So let us know how you like these versus the regular conversation formats we've had so far. To learn more about OnRobot, you can visit their website at onrobot.com and you'll hear the interview right after this. This is High School Not So Much a Musical, a podcast that takes you on a ride through the peaks and valleys of a high school journey. Here are your presenters, Nitin Jalodanki and Ayush Agarwal. Let's start with some commentary on Nitin's conversation with OnRobot CTO Vilmos Beskid. Vilmos, in your opinion, which industries benefit the most from robotic technology? And do you think that AI can make it so robots can maybe, for example, do customer service roles? Very good uh, question. Actually, two questions uh, you were asking there. One, uh, the first one about industries. I would say that everywhere you have repetitive, not so creative, and eventually dangerous, unsafe work, then then robotics has a role to play. Uh, And I would say that, uh, uh, as I see, it is more and more industries that are lining up for automation. So industrial uh, automation, that was like car manufacturing or general manufacturing, that was a natural automation uh, playground. But nowadays, what we also see uh, to start automating is, uh, for example, healthcare or agriculture. So all kinds of industries are lining up for for automation. So I think uh, in the long run, automation will help us to become more efficient and more productive. So now time for some commentary. Vilma said something interesting there about how any industry where dangerous work is performed, for example, a factory job can benefit from automation. And this actually reminds me of a story where uh, I got to 
visit Tesla and take a tour of their factory because uh, my dad's friend kind of hooked us up and they actually had uh, names for each of their robots and the robots were actually doing a majority of the work in the factory. They had like robots stationed everywhere around the warehouse and the robots would move all of the big heavy cars around and take it to the stations where another robot would kind of attach the different parts. So uh, you can actually see a lot of country, uh, companies using automation in robots. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you because a lot of the large companies require a lot of heavy lifting. Like if you think about it, for Coca-Cola, when they have to create their pallets of Coke, obviously it's easier to just have a robot keep doing that job that is just a continuous motion back and forth. I think that a large of a lot of large companies are intimate are implementing automation. And I think another example is um Amazon because they have robots that look like Roombas in their warehouses and they're really strong so they can carry a lot of stuff around in the warehouses and organize them. But to be fair, right, one thing for the listeners is that we're giving these big company names, they're all using automation, but automation, it doesn't necessarily have to be on such a massive like industrial grade scale, right? It can also be things in like sprinklers in your house that turn on at a certain time, they're programmed, or maybe some sort of uh, smart lights or plugs you might have in your house where you can go to your phone, go to open the app and turn on that smart light or smart plug. That also counts as automation. Yeah, definitely. I think that a lot of houses now, like the new higher end houses are coming in with a lot of automation, like you can control your lights with the phone. You can even turn on the washing machine and stuff like that. I think there's also a lot of room for expansion and change. With more and more iterations of autonomous code and better hardware, even small businesses like small bakers or small mom and pop shops will soon be able to use automation and cut down on the major costs that they have. So looking at it from a bigger perspective, Vilmos is right. Basically, every industry can benefit from this. Well, to be fair, right, I wouldn't say every industry because, for example, a huge sector of our economy is actually customer service, right? Like responding to customer, e- customer emails, interacting with them on the phone. And uh, it requires an actual human to kind of sense the customer's tone and mood and exactly respond to what the customer is saying. I don't I don't I don't think automation could really replace something like that. But, you know, those are just my thoughts. So let's go back to the interview and see what Vilmos has to say. Thank you so much for your answer. And just to follow up, do you think that in the future, robots could do even customer service roles? Thank you. And that was the second question. Uh, customer service roles. But for that, AI is already uh, starting to have a role. We have all these uh, chatbots that uh, are in some way the first step in this direction. As AI is developing more and more, I think uh, it will uh, it will grow into, into these roles as well. But I would go even forward. I think AI will have a quite significant role in the development of uh, robotics uh, and general automation. Actually, now looking back at it, I remember watching Google I.O., which is like the big conference Google holds annually, kind of like the Apple version of WWDC. Uh, I watched it around four or five years ago, and they introduced this new feature on the Google Assistant, which, of course, we all know is like miles ahead of Siri or Cortona or other virtual assistants. Uh, And the feature was essentially that you could tell Google Assistant you needed an appointment anywhere, any place, anytime, and it would call that service or shop or a virtual online assistant for you. 
and essentially set up the appointment. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Like Siri and Cortona, they're just kind of there. I don't think I've ever actually used them for anything useful. But it's actually a crazy coincidence because my dad and I needed to get haircuts. And after learning about the Google Assistant, I really wanted to try it out because it felt like a really cool feature, right? So I tried to book an appointment at a hair salon and using Google Assistant, it actually talked with the hairstylist and made it sound like a completely natural conversation as if it was a human talking. It even added filler words like like and um, and I could see similar technology being used on the business side, meaning there could be um, automation being used to answer customer calls and set up appointments, adding customer service into the whole role of automation. Nitin's going to ask uh, what happens to the person whose job was to answer the customer calls. As robots become more advanced, they will take over more human jobs. How does OnRobot plan to balance advancing manufacturing through robotics while still maintaining high employment? Very good, uh, very good question. But uh, I would just uh, have another example. When we started to have cars and started to replace horses, then, uh, then we thought that, oh, the, the world uh, will become so bad because uh, the, the cars will just uh, uh, overtake and, uh, and uh, we will just be suffocated. And then uh, this, uh, this industry has developed. The same happened uh, when we had the uh, industry with the steam engines. Now we were afraid that what is going to happen because it was so high automation and so many things uh, become more efficient that what will people do? Now the same happens with automation and, and robotics as well. Robotics will take over jobs that we are doing today and will create a bunch of very new jobs that, uh, that maybe we even don't, don't see today. So I'm not afraid at all that, uh, that robotics will take, uh, will take the bread uh, from, uh, from people. Instead, I think it will increase automation, it will make us more efficient, and bottom line, it will make our life easier. And that is basically what uh, we will want. I feel like Mr. Beskid is right, that society will adapt and create new jobs based on the ways that robots will replace old ones. However, I think that process still takes a lot of time and in the short run, many people will lose their jobs. So in my opinion, there needs to be some sort of safety net for those people. Ayush, do you have any ideas? Well, I have one. So a potential solution I can think of is uh, UBI or Universal Basic Income. Now, this was proposed by Andrew Yang when he ran for like the Democratic nominee in 2020. Uh, and now he's running for like the mayor of New York. Uh, so essentially, the argument was that automation is going to cause a lot of people to lose their jobs and they're going to be unemployed. So they need new skilled training so that way they can actually adapt to the new workforce and adapt to the new types of jobs that are going to be created through automation. Um, and while they're in that phase, they obviously need a supplemental income. So that's where universal basic income comes in. Universal meaning it goes to everyone, everyone in the United States. Basic meaning it's compar comparatively simple because it's just handing them cash every single month instead of just something like food stamps where you're being given like a voucher which you can exchange for something. Uh, basic, it's very super simple. It's just like a uh, $1,000 given to every single uh, person in the United States every month, so on. So essentially people just go into training programs and they learn new skills. And while they're doing that, they will just get a fixed amount of money every month from the government. Am I right? 
Yeah, that's pretty much it. So it's essentially to help out those that lost their jobs because of automation, because now they don't have to worry about an income while they're in skilled vocational job training. They go get the training and now they can actually uh, get a job in the new world where there's more skilled jobs instead of more like labor jobs in factories because those have been replaced by automation. Anyway, uh, let's see what Nitin asks next. Currently, industrial grade robotic technology is only available to large corporations as they need mass manufacturing. Do you think that some functions of on-robot technology can be transferred to household chores to help automate or modernize homes? Uh, this is very much into our strategy. And that is what, uh, what we say, uh, and that is what we aim with all the development we do. We want to make robotic automation the, the level to enter robotic automation uh, significantly easier. Uh, in our vision, to make automation, and that could be for middle companies, small companies, and even individuals, automation should be so simple that you don't need engineering degree, you don't need uh, many people, uh, integrators around you to make uh, to make something uh, work. Instead, we will provide and we hope to provide uh, seamless integrated devices that are very easy to use in an environment that uh, anyone should be able to handle that. There is a very vast, a very big amount of uh, small middle companies that could do automation but cannot do because of the complexity. If you manage to to decrease this uh, the complexity and decrease this entry barrier, then I believe this will just uh, develop very fast. And then I think, and just to answer your question, uh, when will this reach house households? I think when automation becomes commodity and we are going in that direction, then it will enter in, in our houses as well and more and more automation will happen there as well. I think uh, we can look at history again, actually, for what Mr. Beskett is discussing here, because take, for example, the modern com computer. These started as giant one ton machines that could, you know, only be used in a lab for extremely advanced, like scientific purposes. Right. But as technology has advanced, computers shrunk while simultaneously becoming more and more powerful. Now we have computers and laptops that can fit in our backpack and carry hundreds if not thousands of times more storage and ram than those original like giant cinder blocks while being a thousandth of the weight and size so as i'm looking around my room right now i see another example so adding on to that another simple example that many don't think about is the humble printer that we use for printing our essays and anything else back in the 1600s this started off with the printing press that took hours of manual labor to even use but with the, even with the invention of printers, they started off only accessible to university labs and offices, but now it's uncommon for households to not have printers. From here, we're gonna to switch to a different interview, this time with Joseph from OnRobot R&D being the interviewee. What kind of sensors are implemented onto robots such as the OnRobot Gripper to make the programming more autonomous and to expand robot functionality? Mm -hmm. 
Mm, so we have a smart gripper called RG2FT um, that has uh, fingertip sensors, actually not just one but two in each of the fingers. These two fingers, these two sensors in the fingers are uh, touch sensors in the sense that we detect very accurate forces uh, acting between the fingers as we grasp on something. So if, we, if there's a, a sheet uh, which is slipping out of our fingers, we detect it based on the shear force, so the force that is uh, uh, sensing that it is getting out, slipping out of our uh, uh, grasp. Uh, this is one type of sensor. Uh, this is actually a very special sensor since we made it very small to fit into the, to fit into the fingers. <clears throat> this is actually uh, um, about 20 millimeter, which is a very small space to put uh, that much of an accuracy and uh, uh, six degree of freedom, uh, having to measure six uh, values of the forces. Um, that's one uh, sensor. And the other sensor uh, is, um, is a proximity sensor that actually detects if anything without touching, without exerting any force, uh, is between the fingers. Um, so if we are seeking uh, for something, what we do with our eyes, we just see it, and this sensor have the capability to mimic it in that way. So that's why I believe it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, it helps uh, to, to make automation in the sense that um, uh, it can expand the capability of the robots. Listening to Joseph talking about all these sensors actually reminds me when I did robotics back in middle school. Uh, I did FTC, which is like the first tech challenge. And you can see how a lot of the principles and the basics and foundations of robotics that you learn in like school and uh, cl robotics clubs and programming, et cetera, they actually transfer a, a lot over to actual business and industry. For example, uh, many of the sensors that Joseph is talking about here, we actually use them in FTC. For example, uh, in FTC, the phone that we would place on the robot was the light sensor that would detect the light from the surroundings areas and kind of uh, determine its moves based off of that. And there was also proximity sensors mounted on the robots to see how far away the robot was from another object. So that way it would know exactly what distance to travel uh, to reach that object and pick it up or whatever it needed to do with it. Uh, so those are some examples of sensors and I'm sure Nithin actually you have many more. Yeah, so I actually did the same thing in middle school and mine was something else called CISA in which there would be teams from in different countries competing and in that, the it was the normal Lego competition where we had to use the Lego Mindstorms kit. And in that, we actually had to use a ultrasonic sensor. And it can it doesn't need to be even as complicated as that. It can be something really simple. It can even be a touch sensor. So if a button is pushed, it recognizes that it was touched and it does a certain action. But let's move it away from being so specific. We even have alarms in our house that are triggered by sensors. For example, we have fire alarms that detect smoke and carbon monoxide alarms that detect carbon monoxide. Your smart assistant, like Google Home, has some sort of volume sensor that triggers a command when input for the mic comes in. So sensors are actually 10 times more common than robots in our house, even though we discussed many examples of robots earlier. Let's see what a question Nathan asks next. 
The case study section on your website gave the example of L'Oreal, who is using OnRobot to automate hair research. Are there any other examples or specific companies using OnRobot technology to increase productivity? Actually, I'm part of the R&D and uh, I, I do not have direct contact with the customers who are using that. Uh, but I'm aware of another uh, example that um, is based on a auto uh, a car manufacturing uh, 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 company it's a very big one uh, one of the uh, top three and um, in a manufacturer uh, uh, in a uh, production side they wanted to insert uh, valves and insert um, a special part of the engine which is hard to be inserted due to the fact that the tolerance the clearance between the hole that the thing to be inserted into uh, is just a few is a is a fraction of the hair the thickness of the hair uh, so if you'd like to just insert it by hand that's a hard task due to the fact that you have to insert it very carefully very aligned with the uh, <clears throat> direction of the hole and this process is something that is being uh, utilized and and help uh, customers and actually uh, humans uh, to make it more precise and faster so going off of that you know anyone that watches youtube knows if the man who you know, pretty much sucks at everything, but is good at engineering, meaning he's a legend at anything. Mark Rober's most recent video had to do with the robot that lays dominoes way faster than a normal human. Nathan, could you talk about the on-robot technology used in that robot? Yeah, for sure. So for the people who haven't watched that video, Mark Rober basically built a robot that lays dominoes 50 times faster than a human. And the way he did this was he created a robot that carries 100 dominoes at a time, but this was fully autonomous. So he built another robot that loads the tiles into the actual robot that lays them down. So to fill each of the slot on the filler mechanism, they used a KUKA robot, which is one of the main robots that OnRobot designs for. And using the KUKA robot, they used an OnRobot attachment that picked up the tile based on a pre-programmed um, setting or in, they had a mural and they pre-programmed that and put it into the code. And it would pick the color of the tile and put it in the, into the slot that was needed. And in the end, they created a huge Mario mural using OnRobot technology to pick and place the tiles that were needed. So there you go. There's some information about Mark Robo's robot and how he incorporated on-robot technology into it, what on-robot does, the sensors they use, and how they think they'll be able to combat automation and the effects of it on the workplace. So hope you all learned something about automation and robotics in this episode, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of High School Not So Much a Musical. And a big thank you to Mr. Beskid and Mr. Veresh once again. That's our show for today. Now roll the credits. High School Not So Much a Musical is hosted by Ayush Agarwal and Nitin Jaladanki. Narration by Samhit Padala. Music from Louis Luang Relaxation Cafe, Tune Pocket, and Infraction. If you like this show, please recommend it to your friends and family. Thank you for listening and see you next time.